Welcome to the Professional Humans Podcast, a show about work and stuff, and professionalizing your behavior both on and off the job. When you listen to the Professional Humans Podcast, you're going to find that your hair looks better, your complexion improves, and you're suddenly wearing fresh, crisp clothes that look like little birds dressed you in the morning. You're not going to believe the difference in your daily life. One guy who only listened to the first 10 minutes of every episode, and that's it? Even his performance at work improved. Listen, people, in minutes a day, you could change your life. The next thing that's going to happen to your life is that you're going to find that all your friends aren't quite cutting it for you. They're going to seem sloppy, unorganized, and just kind of not great to be around. But don't worry, the solution is right in front of you. Just turn those chumps onto our podcast as well. Before too long, you will be proud to call them your friends again, and we'll have more subscribers in the process. Now let's quit screwing around and get to this episode. But wait, there's more. We have a new recording device, and we're so pleased with the sound we decided to use it in this upcoming interview, but neglected to quarantine our dog. So if you've ever wanted to imagine what a dog would sound like hanging around in your house, you're about to find out. It's going to seem like he's right next to you. We also wanted to thank everyone who's already subscribed and shared. The feedback and support has been really awesome so far. And Ellie and I wanted to take another moment to thank you for everything you've been doing to help. That does still include subscribing to the podcast and writing a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It really helps out. We still also have a request out on Facebook for terrifying holiday party stories, which may land your story in an upcoming episode. Thanks again for listening. And now, three, two, one, go. Are we starting? Fiasco started. Are we starting? Well, we're just going to start recording. Let's just ease into it. Okay, but hang on. Okay. Okay. How's your latte, EJ? It's delicious. Don't thank tell you. the other guests that I made you a latte. Uh, thank you for acquiring this latte. <laughs> sure. From the kitchen? Wherever it came from. <laughs> I'm trying to be non-specific about the origin of my latte. We're here today with Eric Johnson, also Hi. known as EJ. Actually, only known as EJ, more accurately than also. So, EJ, you and I have been professional humans together for about five years. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I want to say that I've always felt there's a pretty big chasm between your professionalism and mine. And by that I mean, <laughs> by that I mean you're much more professional than I am. Really? When oh. you speak. Uh, or present things specifically and it's interesting to me because our I think our goofiness or our silliness is at parody mm. I think mm -hmm. we're equally goofy when we're being goofy but then you kind of skyrocket to professionalism when you need to present something or talk about technology which is cool and it kind of um, the dog's going to be in this podcast I guess yeah that sounds good uh, you have this kind of intimidating veneer that is made up of both your physical presence and your well-spokenness. Oh. The podcast listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about unless they actually know you. Until the end of this podcast. And what? then they'll know. What do you mean? Well, What's they'll know about the, the... But they can't see him. Oh, you mean the visual of my countenance. Yes. Oh. Uh, well, we can include a picture or something. I don't know if I ever told you this story, Josh, but it's funny... A client once asked me to send EJ in to have a tough conversation and to ask him to wear short sleeves. <laughs> Apparently he wanted my tattoos or 
something. Make sure the tattoos are showing. Present. I'm EJ. Can you send? I'm gonna break your kneecaps if you. Uh, Can you send you know EJ mean. in? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's not the EJ that we'd like to speak to today. Oh, okay. We'd like to speak to Shields Down EJ. I'll need to go change that. <laughs> shields Down. Wait. This is my Shields Down mode, I think. Is, are your shields active when they're up or down? My shields are active when they're up. Shields in general are active when they're up. Shields up yeah. is active. If you were yeah. to ask any... I feel like I should know that, but... Shields yeah. up! Any commander of any Starcraft Shields out down there. is... Okay. Mm-hmm. Shields down. Shields down. Whew. All right. Yep. So well, today we want to have a frank conversation uh, about core values, about your your company's ethics and uh, or company's ethics. <laughs> because, <laughs> General ethics. Because about... not, we're not drawing only from your current company, but I think there is actually probably some more interesting stories about previous companies. I have a couple. A couple. And I know uh, we made you count them, so I know you know exactly how many you have. I do. Uh, and how those values or the company's purpose does or does not impact your work. That sounds good. Yep. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> what I was thinking about is that the company's values and whether or not you give a shit about them is actually the ultimate measure of whether you will be able to successfully achieve work-life integration. I very much agree, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool, so let's get started. I'm gonna start with uh, a poll that I found. It's a Gallup poll. They surveyed people with this statement. With a, they needed a response to this statement. The mission or purpose of my company makes me feel my job is important. Mm. Their research showed that there was a correlation between how employees rate that question with uh, retention, their customer service levels, productivity, and profitability. And they concluded that the best workplaces give their employees a sense of purpose, help them feel like they belong, and enable them to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I also found research that shows that only 42% of employees know their organization's vision, mission, values. My conclusion is that 58% of employees don't give a shit about customers, profitability, their company's purpose, or productivity. I, I think I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> and I think that actually is illustrated nicely by my chain of careers uh, over time, you know, from like starting at your you know, first job when you're a kid all the way up to, you know, present day. Yeah. You know, I do find it, if I may, I do find it interesting that... Um, that they might tie the the mission or vision uh, towards feeling my job's useful. I think that that can be true if that is manifested by a majority of people in the workplace. You know, if it's an abstract sort of statement that seems really aspirational, but you never see, like, the average person, like, oh, all the people that I work with also believe and act out that mission, vision, or those company, you know, values on a consistent basis, then I think it's largely... Um, yeah, it's largely for a show, you know, or it might mean something to a very small select group of people who helped envision that, but isn't actually practiced. Or it's pointed at the customers. Yeah, absolutely. Marketing play, for sure. Or we're at the stage in our growth where we need company value, so we better do those. Right. I found some really funny articles on how to write your company values. 
uh, one article in particular suggested that you use proper syntax and make no spelling errors. Hmm. However, the article had several spelling errors. It's very meaningful. So it was not helpful. We made you figure out the number of companies you've worked for that you can remember, and the number count the number of companies in which, at the time you were working there, you knew the core values of the company. And then also tell us what the number of companies were where you felt like you were actually in alignment with those values. We did this homework as well. Cool. Do you want to start? I can start. Go ahead. I can remember 15. 15 companies you worked for. Yes. Okay. I, I know there's a couple more, but I also wanted to disambiguate between like, I helped set up a department store for a week, you know, or mm -hmm. I poured concrete for a week from, I actually worked there for a meaningful amount of time. That's fair. So 15. 15. Yes. Okay. And, and how many of those at the time did you... Uh, know your company's core values. I knew the company core values for three of them. Three. Mm. Nice. And I did, I did for one of the ones that I, I actually was probably more engaged with than I had been to date, I did go look up their company values just to see if they manifested while I was there and I didn't really notice it. Uh, they did not. We can talk about that later. I did that as well. I had a bunch, a bunch that I, I went back and tried to find them on the internet and could find very few. Mm-hmm. How many of those companies do you feel like you were in alignment with the core values? Uh, I would say two, uh, 1.5 to two. Two of the three. Two of the three. 1.5, so half. Yeah, half-ish. That's yeah. a really low number. Uh, you know, I would say, well, first of all, like not knowing, it, when, I, when I go back to the one that I did research on, I would say that I was not in alignment with those core values. Mm -hmm. So if we said that I knew them at that time, then it would be less than half of the companies that I was aware of core values. I was in alignment with those core values. The The interesting one was Best Buy. I was out of alignment with their core values in the field, but was absolutely in alignment with the core values when I moved to corporate. Hmm. What? So they were different? No, oh, they, they were the were same. Different. They were the same. I was different. Yeah. Yep. I, Josh worked at Best Buy too. And that is one of the two that I was actually in alignment with, and but I only was ever at corporate. so. Yeah, I think it's definitely harder to apply those values when you're face to face with people mm -hmm. and surrounded by a lot of people that mm -hmm. just do not give a crap. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's this ecosystem, you know, in, in the retail industry and a lot of other industries out there that y it's just a job mm -hmm. and I don't need to excel. I just need to not get fired and I'm in an adversarial relationship with my management and with the customer. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's there's not an incentive to really invest in company culture per se. Maybe mm -hmm. at a at a micro level like store culture, I want to be friends with the people I work with, or I want to have good times during the day. But mm -hmm. there's not a a broader. I want to own the P and L, or I want to own success. Yeah. So I counted. I actually counted fourteen the first time I made a pass through my life. And then today at lunch, remembered four more because I, I remembered this whole gap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was this couple of years. My total companies that I've worked for, <clears throat> and I'm sure this is not totally accurate, but it's um, 18. The number of companies where at the time I worked there, I knew what the core values were is two. The number of companies where I was felt I was in alignment was one because the other one, 
of the two, one of them, I was completely disenfranchised along with another 15% of the company. Mm -hmm. If I had, like you said about Best Buy, if I had had a different job at that company, mm -hmm. uh, I might have been in alignment because the core values were primarily geared toward one group of people. Mm -hmm. Only geared toward one group of people. My group of people weren't even on the map. I would posit that you might have been more aligned. <laughs> Uh, I said you values, were... written down values, not the company's <clears throat> business ethics. No, no, I, I, no, I hear you. <laughs> I, I feel like you were more aligned before certain uh, promotions happened. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. Okay, so the number of companies I worked for that I can remember, I know there are more than this. And there's tons more like that are, oh, I worked here for three weeks. Or, Contracting you know, gigs yep. or... Um, but my total was 23. The core values were known at five of them. Wow. That's um, a lot. That's impressive to me. I actually, for a little while, was hunting out, like, I was searching for them. Mm -hmm. And then I know that three of them were, here's this laminated card. And then one of them, I found the core values. It's a and, laminated card. Yeah, at Best Buy, they, yeah. they literally It's on the do back that. of your badge. Here's this laminated card. It has your values you on can't it. can't Learn it. them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're sometimes quizzed by management. And they're like, what are, what's, you know, what's our fourth value? It's, it's a, like a test? Yeah. Kind of can be. Yeah. Um, it depends on who you're talking to. But Best Buy was one, and then my current job. Do you have a laminated card right now? No, I don't have a laminated No, the laminated card. Okay. And then the other one that we had a laminated card one uh, was from Yum Brands. AJ, when did you first become a professional human? Wow, that's an interesting question. In what capacity? You, <laughs> um, you have, that's your call. Uh, I would say I first became, if we want to talk about it in the context of like employment, I would say I had like probably two cocoon phases. And one was when I started a business right out of college with friends um, and abysmally failed at it. Um, it was, what kind of business? Uh, a web design, graphic design, multimedia production uh, business. Yes. So, yeah. Why did you fail? Uh, because we, we were four friends and two of the friends... Well, there was a lack of alignment on the leadership team on where we wanted to take the t where we wanted to take the business. There was an even number of people, so there was never a way to really drive. No um, tiebreaker. Yeah, there's no tiebreaker. Uh, we paid at least one person when we didn't really have the payroll to pay them. We sprung for a lot of company perks, like the entire second story of an office building in downtown Bemidji, because mm -hmm. we could, and cell phones and furniture and. It was just sort of like, ah, this is what you do. You have a company, and and then the dot the dot com crash happened, mm. and all our clients went away. So I've seen movies. And we, this and is what a company is, does. Yeah, and, and we <laughs> unsuccessfully sold to another company that went bankrupt. So you guys were mm. like startups before startups were cool. Yeah, we well we had we started, um, <laughs> but it didn't get get start off. flats. Yeah, start flats. <laughs> yeah, we just sort of start down. Yeah, not cool. But yeah, I would say that's the first one. And the second uh, was when I, I was working at Best Buy, I was working at one of the stores in the field, uh, pre-Geek Squad, as just a tech bench guy. Mm -hmm. And the 
the, I can remember the day. It was a day where it had been the end of several weeks and maybe months of complaining about the state of the tech bench and who was leading it and uh, who was in charge at the store and also a realization that every dinner was me and two to three friends just complaining about how much we hated working at Best Buy. And I walked in one morning and said, this is awful and the problem isn't any of the things that we complain about, the problem is me. And the only person who's gonna make a change here is me. Not that I'm gonna be able to change the company, but I can absolutely change my circumstance. And I went and talked to the store manager and said, I need a raise or I'm out of here. You need to change the leadership at the tech bench or I'm out of here and I want more opportunity to grow in the organization. And they said yes. And they said yes to all three of them. Nice. From that day forward, it stopped <laughs> feeling like, oh my God, I have to get up and go to work. And it started feeling like I have to go do my job. Um, mm -hmm. And things kind of progressed from there. And I'd say probably within a year, within a year I had moved to um, a test with Geek Squad pre-acquisition mm -hmm. and then ended up managing uh, first a local and then a nationwide presence of their stores and then moved to corporate for a period of time. Cool. So I would say that's probably the, the real light the fire professional. Mm -hmm. Sears was like self-empowerment. I think it was driven out of a, you know, looking around and just watching myself dig into this misery pit mm -hmm. and like, how can I get out of this? There's absolutely no reason to be in here. Sure. Uh, this is all self-imposed. I'm choosing to feel this way. I'm choosing the actions in my day-to-day -day life. I'm choosing to surround myself with people that are in the same capacity negative and mm -hmm. I'd like to not do that anymore. This is like what Benjamin Zander said. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into this because the self-empowerment stuff is is another podcast, but <laughs> we got some <laughs> we got some feedback that we should rename our podcast, but that's another podcast. That sounds because, like a great. Because and then I, we realized that in every episode we bring up a topic that we're like, but that's another podcast. Ah. Mm. But at what point in in your life was it and it was it age related or or uh rank related did you first notice that you gave a shit about your company's values uh best buy okay. i would say i mean it took a while you know that was best buy was i started there 12 years 13 years ago i don't know 12 or 13 years ago mm -hmm. so maybe longer maybe 15 i don't know mm -hmm. i'm old the yeah, I would say that's that's probably the first place. There, I think I, I had meaningful feelings about the places I worked and meaningful feelings about what I was doing, but I don't think they had any kind of direction or, or purpose other than I'm empowered or I'm disenfranchised. Have you ever been at a place, like perhaps the store at Best Buy, where the company values were were there and they were paid attention to, but there was also like a local value. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I walked, uh, walked, I worked, I worked for a, uh, a good friend, uh, who, uh, he was the guy I advocated, uh, coming to manage the tech bench. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had been placed in another department in the store and he wasn't happy there. It wasn't his jam and he could do a lot of good at the, at the bench. And I advocated for, for him being the person that came back to, to lead it. Mm -hmm. And he was absolutely, I'd say, a cornerstone. And at that time at Best Buy, I didn't really, the values, sure, I'm sure that was in the employee handbook, but they weren't really part of the day-to-day -day discourse. You know, it mm -hmm. was absolutely the, did you process the queue? Did you call the customers? Did you take care of, you know, the payroll? And, 
you know, did you do the reporting and uh, did you do all the work that you need to do as an employee at the store in order to get your paycheck? And, and did we have fun as a team? Mm-hmm. And he was kind of the cornerstone of that, you know? And when he left, that was absolutely a point where I said, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I've been doing some really great work now, but <clears throat> I'd like to do something else. Mm-hmm. Interesting. True or false? I'm going to quote. If an employee is engaged with your company values, he or she will clearly understand what's important and have confidence in their ability to make decisions on a daily basis. Mm. This is a trick question. I'm going to say false. Yes, it is false. Please say why. Maybe we agree. I'm going to say false because that statement means nothing without any kind of cultural and, and, and real manifestation of that in the workplace. If there's not, kind of like what I said earlier, if there's not like a person or group of people advocating for that and showing that it can be done, that this particular value or this particular you know, core belief of a company is true and, and do it in action, then it's meaningless. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we both went through the creation of core values at two companies in a row mm-hmm. And had very, very different experiences. Mm-hmm. The first one was some people mm-hmm. that sat in a room somewhere and decided what they were. Mm-hmm. Came out with a big show. It mm-hmm. was a show. It's carved on tablets. Well, I. It was minted on a coin. Do you want? A, do you want a, a mini piece of insight? Sure. That list was given to the team. From whom? Um, from a, a consulting company that interviewed the organization. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And during I wish the, I still didn't remember that. When the tablets were brought down from on high, they were immutable. There was no mm-hmm. mutability in the language. There was no or, discussion. At least not at the level that I was at. Now, to be 100% fair, there could have been plenty of conversation mm-hmm. at the next tier up. And I, I just wasn't a part of that. You know, I wasn't senior leadership at that organization. I was, you know, upper middle management. So there could have been very robust dialogue. I don't want to say there wasn't, but there was not at our level. Right. Mm-hmm. So then it was minted on a coin and a show was put on. And I read my coin, was flipping it, looking for how it pertained to me at all. Mm-hmm. And felt walked out of there feeling completely disenfranchised mm-hmm. and checked out. So it was harmful to me to have those values mm-hmm. put upon me. It pissed me off. And then, over the next several weeks, they became weaponized. I think you coined this term, <laughs> weaponized. Yeah. Because they became attacks, like, I don't agree with you, you're not doing the value mm-hmm. and using it as a weapon. Yeah. And, and that was, that made it so much worse than how yeah. I felt the first day, anyway. It's, um any time that you take any piece of power, whether it's fantastically manifested as magic or science fiction or realistically manifested as a physical weapon or imposing presence or, or ideology and change it from a inspiration or a, a call to inspire and turn it into a, uh, a, a weapon of attack and a way to, to mm-hmm. hold people to uh, your perspective, it's lost its true essence. Yeah. It is no longer a rallying cry to have, you know, because I've read, I reread recently okay. uh, as part or of my did homework. You study? I, I reread some of those core values that you're mm-hmm. mentioning and you can absolutely put them in a very positive light, 
I think it's hard to do with those particular ones because they're a little disjointed. Um, but that's not how they were used in the immediate aftermath of their release. Hmm. They weren't. That's mm -hmm. rough. And they could have been inspirational, mm -hmm. and perhaps they were to some people. To but, but to your point, Ellie, I think that I've never met someone who they've been inspirational for. Yeah, they weren't necessarily applicable. Right. In stark contrast, where we are now, mm -hmm. we didn't really know in the moment that it's what we were shaping. Or some people did, but not everybody did. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a discussion with every single person in the company, and it was a pretty amazing day. Mm -hmm. And we we created it on post-its, the way we create every single thing we mm -hmm. create there. And it was totally fun. Um, and then the leadership team took that input and synthesized it, mm -hmm. which was... That's totally different from the leadership team just rolling it out. Mm -hmm. They took our input, they synthesized it, and then they made a big deal about the fact that we all co-created it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a little bit of insight into both of those and the previous one that you and I were at and the most recent. And they both started with the same statement. Yeah. They both started with a statement, you don't create your core values, you discover them because they're already part of the makeup of the organization. I think that leadership was reading the same book. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm serious. No, they, they absolutely were. were. They what is the book? It's called Traction. Traction. Oh, I just got that on audiobook. There you go. I'm going to create some core values you for should. this podcast. Well, you're going to have to do it with me. True. <laughs> I'm just going to pass them down. No. <laughs> you know, that's interesting, though, Ellie. I don't accept them. I wrote the same thing down when I was doing my homework that, you know, one of the key differentiators about the, the core values of the company that we're at now is that they were company-created. Yeah. You know, they were, the feedback of the organization en masse was solicited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't just go to the core value store and... Just be like, okay, here we go. No. I took these off the shelf. Although a lot, of, a lot of, you know, doing a little bit of analogous inspiration research out there, um, there's a lot of companies that do read like they did do that. <laughs> yes. One of the, in addition to use synt proper syntax and don't make spelling errors, uh, some other advice I read was don't use alliteration. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's just cheesy. Yes. So anyway, after that process... When the leadership team synthesized our input and came back and said these are the these are the values. Actually, there was a voting phase too, where there were too many and we needed to pare them down. So we had mm -hmm. a voting phase. Some of them got merged or blended and reworded a bit. And then there was another company meeting where it was okay. Here's the here are the values, mm -hmm. and it was presented on a slide on the projector. It was never sent out. Mm -hmm. It wasn't sent in an email. It wasn't printed in a document, it wasn't minted on a coin, it wasn't chiseled into stone. It was just talked about. And I left the meeting going, that was super cool. I know you and I were kind of white knuckling it into that meeting, mm -hmm. uh, having gone through the other, other experience. Mm -hmm. I remember we both stood at the back, mm -hmm. skeptically uh, judging, and came out very happy and motivated. But as soon as I walked out of the meeting, I remembered thinking I want a copy of this and then I intentionally did not ask for a copy of it because I wanted to see what happens I remembered the weaponization in the weeks that came after the other rollout and I wanted mm -hmm. to see which ones people remembered just because they remembered them which ones got mm -hmm. talked about how they got talked about so I did my own little research uh, phase and it, I waited about a month just to see which ones came up the most, uh, and then I shared that information 
um, with the leadership team and asked for and asked for a copy. Can I mm-hmm. get a digital copy of the values, by the way? And they were like, oh, my God, yeah, here, here's, mm-hmm. a, here's a blank, oh, like white plain sheet of paper with the values yep. typed on it. it a, and it was the best. It was a CEO presentation special. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so EJ, you have to p- pull a question from this jar. Okay. Uh, and answer it. Okay. And then when you... Is this shields down or shields up? I don't care. Okay. And then... Shields neutral. Shields neutral. Deflector <laughs> then... screens, but not shields. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Depends on the question. And <clears throat> then you get to put a question in the jar when you are done. Oh, all right. Your own question. Okay, let's see. Dobby is hoping it's a treat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this one. It's not a treat, Dobby. All right. <clears throat> question that I have pulled from the question jar is who is Mike Mason? <laughs> um, Do you know? I have no idea. Oh, I we should, know. We should Mike have Mason pull submitted one. this question. Mike Mason did. Uh, so we asked uh, some of our listeners to give us questions for the jar. Okay. And Mike Mason submitted three questions, and then a fourth question was, who is Mike Mason? Ah, okay. And I said, just so you know, I'm putting that one in the jar, too. Here, you want to take another one? Yeah, I do want to take another one. I'm going to take this question. Okay. What keeps you coming back to a job day after day? The snacks? The work? The people? Those are all really good reasons. The thing that keeps me coming back... Oh, all right. So, shields down. Yep. EJ. Yep. There's two things that keep me coming back. One is a well-groomed and developed sense of commitment to things that I start doing, uh, instilled by my father. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I start doing something, I better so, finish it. So you're going because you said you would go. Because uh, yeah. So which makes it really hard to do things like take PTO. Uh, you took PTO on Friday. I know. It, it was really hard. Okay. Okay. I don't think I believe you, but okay. I have 120 hours of PTO that I'm going to lose. Oh, okay. I believe you. Okay, thank you. Uh, the second thing Someone is... Someone else is in a very similar boat. I got scolded using my full name. I got scolded Ooh. with... Uh, my boss used my full name. That's... Wow. Yep. Like, the one that I'm not going to say on the podcast. You can say it. Elizabeth? Yeah. Wow. I got an all caps okay. email that said, Elizabeth! <laughs> that's fair. So, I would say a sense of commitment uh, keeps me coming back. And that's like just fundamental in my mm-hmm. personal makeup. What makes me come back to the same job for an extended period of time is the the work that I'm able to do. Um, and I mean specifically, can I make a difference? And not, can I make a difference in the bottom line or can I make a difference in the number of widgets sold or, or whatever the case might be. But Portals. Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I make a difference in people's lives? Yes. Um, so for me, it's, it's much less about the specific work and it's much more about the people who are doing that work and the people we're doing the work for. You want to do that but you don't give yourself credit when you do do that. That's a true statement. But that's another podcast. That is another podcast. We've said it three times this episode. Great. Thanks for <laughs> talking to us today. Thank you for inviting me over. Yeah. This is really great. You can Thank put you your, indeed. You can put your shits back up if you need to but we're just going to eat. No, I'm totally... Some rice and chicken, so... I don't need shields for food. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks again for listening, humans. As always, you can find us on Twitter, at ProHumans. Now on our shiny new Facebook page, ProHumans Podcast. On SoundCloud, at soundcloud.com slash ProHumans. 
or go the easy route and log on to prohumans.com where you can find all of that stuff and more. This is Danger wishing you a professional week.